coming up, it's the biggest party of the... No. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's the other place. Ah, this is the one. The Anniversary Spectacular, where legends are made and one strives to reach immortality. The man with the plan starts now. The man with the plan. What's up, world? It is I, the man with the plan, be the man. So, let's take it back. Way, way back. June 19th, 2005. Eight days after my 13th birthday. The Impact Zone celebrated their three-year anniversary with a debuting pay-per-view called Slammiversary. A Samoan submission machine debuted, the Fallen Angel gained the Red X, and the NWA World Heavyweight Championship got a dose of the Raven Effect. From the highest of mountaintops, making himself a king. 18 years later, the names have changed, but the game remains, well, relatively the same. So let's take it a few weeks back, July 18th, Slammiversary. It had its fair share of highlights. So let's take a look back. So this night started off with the Rascals having their open challenge for any tag team in the world who wanted to step up to face the Rascals. Who better than the Motor City Machine Guns making their return to Impact to challenge the Rascals? So first off, Chris Saban, Alex Shelley, I tip my hat to you guys. They hadn't missed a step at all. They were the first tag team I recall seeing during the original TNA days, and I was certainly reminded of the many, many tag team moves that they have. Fluid cohesion, chemistry that is very hard to come by in modern tag team wrestling, and all of that I was very much reminded by by seeing this match. And while cocky in ways, Rascals certainly seems to back up their cockiness with very, very much skill. I thought this one was a great opening match, very well-balanced scale of storytelling among both teams. Similar styles, yet the Young Guns and the Rascals did not look inferior to Alex Shelley and Chris Saban at all. They looked right on par with each other. Again, I tip my hats to both teams, especially Alex Shelley, Chris Saban. I tip my hat to both of you guys. So next up, we had the TNA World Heavyweight Championship on the line. We had one Moose, the reigning champion, against the innovator of violence, Tommy Dreamer. So first off, Tommy Dreamer, man, he can still sell the hell out of a match after almost 30 years in the game, in a squared circle. The innovator of violence and Moose really, really sold me on this match with the match promo alone. I absolutely loved the nod to Terry Funk and Dusty Rhodes feud back in the day with Tommy Dreamer's Moose Sucks Egg shirt. Being familiar with Tommy Dreamer's history, ECW with his closeness to Terry Funk and the closeness to Dusty, even incorporating American Dream into his wrestling last name Dreamer to honor Dusty, he was the perfect guy to really incorporate that Moose Sucks Eggs thing, taking it from Dusty Sucks Eggs. He was the perfect person to incorporate that in this feud with Moose. And oh, the, the Or Fortuna intro that Moose used in his entrance before his theme song kicked. Any hip-hop head knows, Or Fortuna was sampled for Nas's Hate Me Now. 
I don't think that was any coincidence that Moose used that intro for his entrance. I don't think that was any coincidence. I think he made it very clear, just like Nas and Diddy did back in the day. You can hate the man now. You can hate me now. So the old school rules thing was a little confusing to me at first, but luckily Josh Matthews on commentary cleared that up right away as Tommy Dreamer, as we all know, brought out the trash can lid, and when Dreamer gets to bringing out weapons, you better get to ducking. And I didn't have any clue that Moose was calling himself a wrestling god until he said it shortly after he got some offense in. I absolutely loved the line Don Callis had about Carl Gotch already calling himself a wrestling god first. Nice little backstory there. So Moose landed a big drop kick at one point during this match when Tommy Dreamer was coming off the top rope. Not something we see too often from Tommy Dreamer. And then another amazing drop kick from Moose as Tommy Dreamer was in the corner with the trash can over his head. Moose just lands an amazing running drop kick into the corner on Tommy Dreamer. Another spot I thought was amazing, a catching cutter spot from Tommy Dreamer. Moose was going for a springhouse, sorry, not springhouse, springboard roundhouse remover, and Tommy Dreamer catches him with a cutter. I certainly did not expect that at all, especially seeing Tommy Dreamer go to the top nonetheless. But the catching cutter? Wow. That took me by surprise. I thought that was a nice touch to this old school rules match. So Don Callis later on in commentary brings up that Moose could use a manager or a coach. Josh Matthews subsequently brings up how Don Callis could certainly take on that role after previously leading Rhino to championship gold. I think that'd be a nice touch. The little I've seen of Don Callis on commentary and the man's resume speaks for itself. Whether you want to take it back to ECW or even a brief stint in WWE as the Jackal, I think that's a good possibility. I think that's something Impact should certainly look into doing. Moose, the athleticism he shows is, is just amazing. Uh, a Facebook group I'm in, shouts out to NAAW. Uh, they have definitely pointed out that Moose has had some wicked athleticism in these matches, and the Uranagi and standing moonsault he hit was just amazing. I Stylistically, he reminds me of like an Apollo Crews in WWE. Like The styles are very, very similar, but Moose has a little more weight on him, so it's it's it reminds me of Mark Henry recently saying that it's an era for for the big men to come back in wrestling, and I think it's amazing to see, and certainly in this match, Moose has definitely proved that he is one of those big men bringing back that big man magic. The thumbtacks, the thumbtacks. Tommy's Dreamer, as we all know, innovator of violence, he brought out the thumbtacks, but Moose hits him with a low blow. Moose then brings him over to the thumbtacks, a true eye for an eye spot. <laughs> Moose then hits a hilarious line as they're kind of hovering over the thumbtacks saying, I never watched ECW. Absolute just just new guy just completely crapping on the old guy. Just you got to love that type of heel heat. Then he finally slams Dreamer face first or not face first. I don't believe 
but just slams him right into the thumbtacks. That spot, even even being 28, that spot really got me. That spot was really brutal. So Tommy Dreamer certainly got his stuff in this match, but Moose's stock continued to rise, beating another legend in the industry. And I certainly am starting to dig his version of the spear, the lights out spear. He has a little more leap into it compared to other versions of the spear we've seen in the industry. So the ageism in this match was all too apparent. While not always done with justice, Moose certainly sprinkled it in enough in his trash talk to drive a point home. Moose, future, dreamer, pass. So moving on. We get a segment next. Johnny Swinger grabs the car that's meant for one good brother, Carl Anderson. I have a feeling Johnny Swinger might be meeting the good brothers much more sooner rather than later. Next up, we have the Knockouts Battle Royal. This one starts out as a Royal Rumble Battle Royal type format until... The last two women are in the ring, and then it turns into a traditional match with the ref in the ring. So John E. Bravo, I kid you not, for those who haven't watched Impact in a while, like myself, that is actually his name, John E. Bravo. So John E. Bravo is dressed up as Taya Valkyrie and eliminated just within seconds. Nice, nice comedy spot for sure. Next, as Kimberly enters the ring, she gets in a nice vertical suplex. I thought that was very, very nice. I give my proverbial approving T.I. nod when it comes to Tosh Steels. Again, shouts out to NAAW, the Facebook group I'm in. That group speaks very highly of her, so I knew when I saw her, I was like, all right, I know she's the real deal. I know a lot of good people speak highly of her, so I am very much looking forward to seeing what she has in store next. Looking forward to seeing that. Then we've got Kira Hogan entering in not too long after that. And Kira Hogan and Tasha Steeles, of course, BFFs. They use their friendship to team up on the other women. I thought that was a nice touch. Every battle royal, you, you gotta have at least someone to assist you, help get the other bodies out the ring. So soon after that, we've got Katie Forbes, one girlfriend of Mr. The whole effing show, formerly known as Mr. Monday Night, Mr. Friday Night, etc., etc., but obviously RVD Impact, he's Mr. Tuesday Nights. I think Josh Matthews said it best here about Katie Forbes, something along the lines of her being a special attraction. I think he said it best and better probably than I ever could. Uh, another appearance in the Knockout Battle Royal, Havoc. I am familiar with her a little bit. I know she is a favorite of a friend of mine's, and I know he's a big fan of her, so I'm familiar with Havoc a little bit. But from what I saw in this Battle Royal, she's certainly, she certainly brought it. She is no joke. This era of Impact definitely has a wider variety of knockouts compared to the last time I watched. The character death among these women from the little bit I've seen in this match seems to be far and wide. Everybody's really got a unique character to them, and I think that's just fantastic. So Nevea soon pops up here afterwards, and Nevea and Havoc are also former tag team partners. So similar to Kira Hogan, Tasha Steeles, they're also teaming up, trying to get bodies out the ring here. Bravo, he pops back up, as Rosemary this time. 
and eliminates Havoc. Then Bravo gets eliminated by Kylie Ray, who feels bad and apologizes. And literally the same situation happens. Kylie Ray eliminates Mass and Rain and then feels bad and apologizes. Odd touch, but I understand that's part of her character, so I can't make too uh can't make too many hasty judgments there. So the final two women in this knockouts battle royal, it comes down to Taya and Kylie. After some good back and forth, Kylie picks up the win after being one of the first two to enter this battle royal. She is now the new number one contender for the knockouts championship. Don Callis, I thought, was awesome on commentary, playing big time heel here, saying Kylie can't be apologizing and having fun while trying to capture the knockouts championship. However, I'd like to make a note, since this is coming out later than expected, this past Tuesday on Impact, I think Kylie did prove that she does have enough spunk to take on the new champion. Let's see how that one plays out. Next up, we've got the debut of my boy Heath. Heath, baby! So Heath gets in the ring, and as he's been saying on social media, watch the hell out. He's here. He's ready to prove himself. But, of course, he doesn't get too far into his promo. Rohit Raju interrupts, subsequently beating down Heath. But Heath bounced back, gets some offense in, hits him with the sweetness. I am personally ecstatic to see Heath make some moves and impact. For a long time now, I've personally felt that Heath has had a former-like ability and natural underdog vibes. Since NXT started, since it was a reality show, I felt he should have got way more opportunities in WWE when they were fresh off the course split up. The OG one-man band theme song was my personal favorite, and Heath's persona at that time when he had the OG one-man band theme song, it seemed like everything was lining up. It seemed to make for a great character for Heath. Unfortunately, Heath was always a punching bag for legends, icons, and higher-up guys on the card compared to some of his contemporaries. I also find myself relating to Heath in a way, being one within many of groups and not always getting that chance to shine. Heath, he had Nexus, Core, Social Outcasts, 3MB, and his teams with Rhino and PJ Black, formerly known as Justin Gabriel. I, for one, am itching to see what Heath can do with the chains off and the past stench of WWE comedy he's gotten saddled with. Hey, Heath, hook a brother up with a 5X Watch the Hell Out shirt. I need that. <laughs> so next up, we got some X Division competition. We got the defending champion, Willie Mack, against another NAAW favorite. And he's actually in the group. Chris Bay. So matches like this, I'm not gonna lie to you guys. I tend to think of the Issa Rae quote that has now become a meme. I'm rooting for everybody black. <laughs> so a bit of a TNA flashback. I remember being fascinated by the X Division and the no weight restriction on the belt. Guys like AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, Samoa Joe, Chris Sabin, and Elix Skipper really had me captivated to catch each and every X Division match. And as I just mentioned, Chris Bay is another favorite in the NAAW group I'm in. 
Willie Mack is also another name I've heard throughout the years. And the clips I've seen of him, again, big man magic. Man is amazing in the ring. Based on the hype behind both men, I went in with high hopes for this match. Willie Mack hit a huge Luthez press. And it was like a Fez press Meteora combo. Spectacular. Straight spectacular. Willie Mack, with his gear, paid some nice homage to Razor Ramon. I thought that was wonderful. And another instance of another big man hitting a pretty impressive standing moonsault. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. It's, it's, it's a quick move and done with precision. Very nice. Very nice. So, on commentary, Josh Matthews makes an interesting note here. He says that this is the first true championship match of the night. And the man even goes on to say, don't at him because Moose isn't a real champion. <laughs> I thought that was a nice touch, kind of giving a little nod to Moose in a way, while also keeping focus on Mac and Bay here. Very nice touch. So as we go further on in the match... Chris Bay plays a little bit of possum as he feigns an injury, but then gets right back on the prowl to Willie Mack. I thought that was a nice little touch of some old school heat action. But as we continue in the match, Chris Bay, he hits that art of finesse springboard cutter and he gets the win. New champion. This match definitely felt like a true battle one upsmanship here. While Willie Mack delivered some stylistic force, Chris Bay played smarter and not harder to get the win and the championship. I'm hoping these two have some more matches because the chemistry, it was smooth, it was fluid with each and every sequence. As we'll see on Impact, they would have a championship rematch. Again, chemistry smooth, very fluid, but Chris Bay also retained in that match. But again, I'm hoping that is not the end of Chris Bay and Willie Mack. Those are, those are the matches that we need to keep on seeing. So we move a little further on into the night. Next up, Heath and Rhino reunite backstage. Soon after, Scott DeMore walks up. As a little interesting caveat, Scott says, while it's good to see Heath, he doesn't work there. So Scott subsequently kicks good old Heath out. Looks like we might be getting a redo of the Rhino Heath angle from WWE. So, Heath's got to show up on that following impact so Rhino can get him signed. However, as we would see on this past Tuesday's episode of Impact, Rhino was a bit preoccupied with a bet and a subsequent match with Hernandez who I apparently haven't seen in so long. I almost didn't recognize it was Hernandez. It's got the different mustache and all. But anyway, Rhino was preoccupied with Hernandez and missed Heath's call. However, Heath snuck back in at the end of the night, at the end of Impact this past Tuesday, so I'm interested to see how this one goes. Next up, we had some World Tag Team action. We had the North, Ethan Page, and Josh Alexander against Sammy Callahan and Ken Shamrock. Most dangerous man. Wow, amazing. So, I had briefly heard about Ken Shamrock's return to Impact last year, but wow. Seeing really is believing. 
the world's most dangerous man back at it in 2020 out of all years at 56. That, along with the rumblings I've heard about the talented Sammy Callahan and how good he is, I went in rooting for these two men to put their differences aside and walk out new champions. However, the North, being a pretty badass team from Canada, who have held the titles for a full calendar year, I figured this match was going to go either way. So Alexander and Shamrock, they got into a mini-submission battle, and it had me wanting to see more of them one-on-one. If you can keep up with a UFC legend and Impact Hall of Fame elect like Ken Shamrock, you're doing something right. And that's no discredit to Ken Shamrock at his age either. And in the North, there's certainly no slouches, adding to the ever-growing list of Canada great wrestling exports. A hypothetical match I'd love to see, the North versus FTR. Josh Alexander's shoot wrestling style and Ethan Page's cockiness against FTR's old-school rough'em tough'em style? Shut up and take my money. I absolutely loved the double ankle lock spot occurred later on in the match. Shamrock, he had it locked on there, and Alexander had it locked on Callahan. I personally thought that was a nice touch. Again, more of that sparring of similar styles like keeping up with ken shamrock even at his age that's that's impressive now i will say i felt that the partner bumping to partner pinning opponent spot i feel like that's a bit ridiculous at times using it for the earlier match and then here it it seemed a little cheap in my eyes a impressive spot i will say though Ken Shamrock in 2020 doing a vaulting body press to the outside. Like, what? Like, <laughs> like again, no discredit to Ken Shamrock, but <laughs> a vaulting body press. <laughs> if you haven't watched Slammiversary, I advise you to, to at least try to find that clip by however means. It's... Words do not do it justice. Leading up to the finish of this match, Sammy Callahan was second shy from breaking up the pin, but unfortunately, the North retained. Aside from the aforementioned two spots, this was the match I enjoyed way more than I expected. And speaking of Motor City Machine Guns not too long ago, they have interrupted the North. Motor City Machine Guns, they walked in TNA so the North could run. This set up a tag team match for this past Tuesday's Impact. Motor City Machine Guns versus the North for the tag titles. If you haven't watched last week's Impact, I highly recommend checking that match out. No spoilers here if you haven't seen it, but I very much highly recommend checking that match out. Next up, Rich Swan. He's back. On crutches nonetheless, but he is back. Looks like he is eyeing the Impact World Championship. While he's on the injured list, he's letting it be known. He'll be looking for gold soon enough. Next up, we've got the Knockouts Championship match. Deanna Perrazzo against the champ, Jordan Grace. The Virtuosa, she recently debuted in Impact shortly after being released from WWE. Or <laughs> the Stamford Supermax, as Don Callis referred to. The Stanford Supermax's loss is certainly Impact's gain, as the promo for this match shows. Perrazzo has been on a tear since debuting, quickly claiming stake to nothing less than knockout gold. 
Jordan Grace, however, she isn't to be taken lightly, holding on to the Knockouts Championship with a tight grip since winning back in February. This one started off a little cat and mouse-like, as Jordan looks for some offense on Deanna, but Deanna wiggling out of some offense and getting in some of her own. Another smart heel tactic tonight of working smarter and not harder. Working over the arm and keeping Jordan grounded was a very major key. And we can't take away from the power and technical focus that Jordan kept afloat during this match, despite the arm being a target. And as the arm was a target, instead of just the Fujiwara armbar, Diana Perazzo lands a double armbar a la Rings of Saturn, becoming the new Knockouts Champion. This match, another one I kept in the middle of expectations. I wasn't going in with low expectations. I wasn't going in high because I hadn't seen either woman in a full match. I kept my expectations in the middle. But this match, another one I highly recommend watching. I've got a feeling, though, that they're not done with Deanna and Jordan here. I feel like there's still a little bit more that could be done here, whether it's right away or later on. But that also means Kylie Ray, she might be waiting in the wings just a little bit longer before she gets her title match being new number one contender. And we've got the main event. Five man elimination match for the vacant Impact World Championship. The announced competitors here were Eddie Edwards, Ace Austin, and Trey. Now, I feel like it's important to note, this match was originally a four-man elimination. It wasn't until later on in the night that we found out it'd be a five-man elimination match. So, starting off here, Eddie Edwards, Ace Austin, and Trey... They don't seem too phased about the potential of the mystery opponent. The pre-match promo shows us clips of former TNA Impact wrestlers such as Sting, Mike Bennett, EC3, Brian Myers, who was officially back with Impact, so congratulations to you, James Storm, Kurt Angle, and Bully Ray. There's a nice slew of people there to possibly be the mystery opponent. As Ace Austin made his entrance, getting into entrances here, I forgot that Madman Fulton was a factor here. I remember hearing about him signing with Impact shortly after departing NXT, but I did not realize he was with Ace Austin. I think that's a pretty good combo to have that bodyguard factor in Madman Fulton. Going on a little bit here, as Josh Matthews lists off the accolades of Eddie Edwards, he seems to be the favorite here to come out the match with all the accolades he does have. And in a bit of a surprise, the aforementioned Rich Swan was not injured at all. He was on crutches not too long ago, but it was a ploy. He's the fourth man in this match. Absolutely amazing. I certainly would have guessed that. I haven't had a chance to check out his impact work, but if he's still on par as he was in WWE, this should be good. But, wait a minute. More ominous music. It's none other than Eric Young, EY. He has returned home to TNA. Another TNA original making his return back home. 
Madman Fulton looks like he has some unfinished business with Eric Young from back at the Stamford Supermax. This one now became a fatal five-way. So this match was fast-paced out the gate. That is until Fulton dropped Edwards on the apron with a wicked spine buster. As the referee was trying to eject Fulton, he was refusing to leave, almost costing Ace Austin the match entirely. The speed of Ace Austin, Rich Juan, and Trey almost made my head spin. Wow, amazing athleticism. Eddie Edwards and Eric Young slow it down a bit, but nothing less than desired for this match. A hard kick from Trey might have taken Eric Young out of this match briefly, as EY has a cut above his left eye. That might have sparked a mansion-like fire from the world-class maniac, as he lights Trey up with a spike pile driver, pinning him, eliminating Trey. Talk about getting smoked. Next, EY was looking for that wheelbarrow face buster off of the top, but Rich Swan reverses that into a bulldog. Shortly after that, Rich eliminated EY with a roll-up. Oh, that's not good, because shortly after that, EY is putting Rich Swan back on injury reserve with the assault to the leg. Final two men, Ace Austin, Eddie Edwards. I briefly remember hearing about the paradox between Ace, Eddie, and his wife Alicia. If I recall, and how I remember hearing about it, it got very personal. Coming between a man and his wife? That's grounds for a straight beatdown, y'all. With two Boston knee parties, and the dot hard plosion, the Impact World Championship is vacant no more. Eddie Edwards with the humongous win, becoming Impact World Champion once again. But celebration is very much short-lived. Madman Fulton comes back down, beats down Eddie Edwards, ruining the celebration that Eddie was just beginning to have. However, those good brothers... Too sweet me. Talk Shopamania. They have arrived. Good brothers, Carl Anderson and Big LG. Doc Gallows. So Carl Anderson, he, he did a false handshake with Ace Austin. Ace Austin, he thought it was all good. But no. A move we haven't seen in, in a few years. Carl dropped him with the gun stun. I bet it felt good for Carl to hit one of those again. Doc and Carl nail Ace Austin with the Magic Killer. With a few brewskis with the new champ, the celebration is back on. Talk about a way to have a celebration with the Good Brothers, Eddie Edwards. That's a good celebration. And as we see the little blurb for... I believe during that segment and this past Tuesday at Impact, they've got Talk A Shop Mania, which apparently they're saying put the kids to bed for. So that's, I'm very intrigued to see what the Good Brothers have in store there. But wait, 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 wait a minute. But the pay-per-view's not done. EC3 is back, looking to cause more trouble than ever. Slammiversary goes off the air with EC3, Throwing a glass of whiskey at a wall with three huge chalk lines drawn. And as we would see on Impact this past Tuesday, EC3, as he's been saying on social media and in these promos, 
He's controlling his own narrative, laying Moose out with a reverse DDT. All in all, I thought Slammiversary was a really, really good show. Their setup in Nashville without fans is very much refreshing to see compared to the alternatives. The balance of lighting in the empty crowd seems to differ from their competition with the no crowd aesthetic. Commentary wise, <laughs> Josh Matthews. He's definitely learned a lot from Michael Cole during that WWE run. Their announcing styles are very similar. Albeit, Matthews' heel run on commentary may have more weight to it versus Cole's in terms of annoyance. A little side note of something else I noticed. In between the Knockouts title match and the Impact World title match, they sprayed down the ring a little bit. I assume another COVID health procedure, which props and kudos. Also, it's very refreshing to see the Canadian Destroyer in one of the places that it was actually used the most. I'd love to see Impact implement a Canadian Destroyer count system with P.D. Williams involved. I think that'd be pretty neat. So some final thoughts about Slammiversary. For my first time watching a full TNA Impact show or pay-per-view since the late 2000s, early 2010s, this felt like a very nice return to their product. Their knockouts division has some great variety to it that's pretty hard to top currently. And while we got a fair share of TNA era nostalgia tonight, Impact continues to look to the future and stars like Deanna Perrazzo, Eddie Edwards, The North, and Chris Bay. Impact, I commend you for a very solid pay-per-view in the COVID era. I think it's time I keep on making this return to Impact, just to see what the alternatives are all about with the solid delivery, such as pay-per-views like Slammiversary. So ladies and gentlemen, that does it for this debut edition of The Man With The Plan. As I am going to try to do with you guys, I'd like to drop some wise words of wisdom on you guys. Keep on freeing yourself from the negative people in your life. As always, this is the man with the plan. Signing out. The man with the plan. Nothing more, nothing less.